I put all these pressures on myself, stress on myself to show up and not only yeah show up for myself, but show up for everyone else. So that also can be quite draining as well. Um, so I've kind of recently been really focusing on myself and I find that that is probably the best piece of advice that I can give to always start with yourself first and make sure your cup's full, make sure you're energized. And then it's like so easy to give to everyone else. It's so easy for me to do business and to sit down on the computer now and work for a few hours developing a new program or whatever it is, even if it's really like mundane tasks, I can do it now with full energy because I know that I'm giving myself like meditation, a beautiful morning practice. I'm eating like great food, I'm fueling myself well, I'm drinking plenty of water, I'm moving every single day and progressing with my skills. It just allows me to, yeah, for that to overflow into the business and to helping other people as well. Go. What is up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the White Belt Podcast, where it's my mission to help you make optimal your new normal. But to do that, you're going to need tools, you're going to need systems, you're going to need mental models and philosophies, which is why every episode I sit down with a top tier performer, a high performing coach, someone who knows their shit so that you can steal their best ideas and you can create your own optimal personal practice, something that's going to help you get your body looking, moving and feeling the way that you want it to. And you might have noticed, you might not have noticed, but you might have noticed if you're watching this that we now have video available for all these podcast episodes. I shoot video for all of these things. So if you are more a visual learner or you want to see the beautiful faces of all my guests, then feel free to head over to wipeout.com slash podcast to get this episode and all future episodes on video. Now that's out of the way, time to introduce my guest for today. So my guest today is Rod Cooper. Rod is a movement coach, a high-level movement practitioner in his own right, and the founder of The Movement Collective, which is a movement and mobility space in Newcastle, Australia. Now, if you haven't already come across Rod before, go take a second and go and check him out on Instagram at Rod J. Cooper. That's at Rod J. Cooper. And you are sure to be impressed by what this guy can do with his body. But underneath all the flashy skills and the tricks that look cool, there's actually a wealth of knowledge about human biomechanics and movements. There's a training philosophy that pulls from disciplines such as acrobatics, dance, martial arts, gymnastics, and more, and just an incredible attitude towards movement and life. And that's what makes Rod such a fascinating guy to have a chat with and why I enjoyed this episode so much. We chat about training for both skill and aesthetics. We chat about how to learn complex flips and tricks by breaking them down and deconstructing those skills and sequencing them properly so that you've got a set of progressions to work with. We've got injury, intelligent injury recovery strategies and much, much more. So without any further ado, please welcome my guest for today, Rod Cooper. Cool. Uh, yeah, my name's Rod Cooper and I live in Newcastle and I run the Movement Collective. That's been something that I've been sort of passionate about and running for the last six years, actually, coming up in April. So at times it feels like, you know, that time has flown by, but then I kind of sit on it and I, and I think about all the things that I've done in the last six years and I'm like, holy shit, like we've, you know, it's, it feels like it's been 20 years, you know, there's been so much growth for me personally. And then also the business has grown uh, like crazy since we started. So it's been quite the journey. That's sweet, man. There's, there's only, in my mind, there's only a couple of world-class movement gyms in the entire of Australia and the Movement Collective is definitely one of them. But you haven't always been uh, in, in the movement game or even in the fitness game or a movement practitioner yourself. So I'd love it if you could kind of take me back to Origins Parkour over in Vancouver and kind of tell me, you know, where were you at that point in your life? What, was, what were you doing? And then why was that such a big turning point for you, both business-wise and kind of, you know, your own practice-wise? Yeah, cool. Yeah, so the, the trip to Vancouver was kind of a big moment in my life. I feel like up until that point, I didn't really, I didn't even know what purpose was up until that point. But once I got there, I started to uncover, yeah, passion for movement and for brewing as well. Like there was a few things that popped up in my life that I'm just like, I'm just really into this and I just wanted to go all in. And And movement ended up being the thing that I really wanted to pursue. Uh, originally, I was working as a brewer. So over in Vancouver, I was working as a brewer over there. And the original plan was like, you know what? I can do this myself. You know, you get that kind of idea that, you know, you're working yeah, for definitely. someone else and you're like, you know, I can do this better. So I had that feeling. But then it kind of shifted to movement at some point. I think it was after I took some workshops with Ido Portal and his team. He came to Engineered Bodies over in Vancouver. 
and took two workshops and I was just blown away. So obviously, yeah, training at Origins for a little bit and what, maybe a couple of years and being exposed to all these different movements like break dances and acrobats and hand balances and the parkour athletes was really cool for me to kind of see it just kind of opened up this new world that I had no idea about so it was just really exciting for me it was almost like I was a I was a little kid in a playground that's probably the best way to describe it that's that's really interesting so because I know from a little bit of your background as well that even you've always been quite heavily into physical disciplines but it was more bodybuilding centered around in your kind of earlier life is that right yeah that's right i was never a bodybuilder but it was just kind of that style sure. of training like in the first yeah, year yeah. like all my friends at high school you know we just started training i was only probably 60 kilos when i started so i gained like 10 kilos over that first year so i was like oh this is awesome like i just found the progress in the it was almost like the discipline of showing up every every day and also having that kind of connection with my mates at school as well we would always be talking about bodybuilding and watching you know Arnold Schwarzenegger pumping iron and reading magazines and all that kind of stuff so that was that was <laughs> yeah. a really big passion and, and a way that we could connect um, all of us it was really cool yeah so I'd be I'd be really interested to know just from your own personal background like what made you what made the transition between thinking about because I think a lot of the way that the fitness industry operates nowadays a lot of the way that commercial gyms are set up are because of that massive influence that like Arnie had when all of those bodybuilding documentaries and that really influenced how everybody trained but that was purely kind of coincidence in marketing you know what I mean so I'd love to know what shifted your focus from what made you want to explore different ways of moving and what turns you from you know a path of maybe just more bodybuilding centered training to all of the stuff that you do right now mm-hmm yeah, it's a big question, but I think it was exploration comes to mind. You know, when you're doing bodybuilding sort of style training, I felt like over the years, I, I'd almost done everything that I could do. Like, I felt like I reached that limit. I was like, what else do I do? And I, and I really started to mix things up, like, you know, drop sets and supersets and combining these, move, these two exercises together, you know, doing back and buys and, and just all the combinations. It's almost like I'd, I'd played with that enough and I was ready for something else. That's probably the best way to describe mm. it. It was like, all right, I've reached a, a level where I'm like, okay, there's got to be something else. And the first thing I reckon that got me exploring movement was being able to do a backflip. That was my first thing. That was like my aha moment to go, all right, this is one thing that I'd seen people do and I'd got some coaching and now I can do it. So there's like, what else can I practice and learn that I'm unable to do now, that I know that there's experts out there that can teach me, like what else is there? So that kind of just started me on this like this rabbit hole and I'm still on that, you know, I'm still on that journey now. And for anyone listening that wants to check out some of Rod's, I guess, personal practice, you can check him out on Rod, is it Rod J, Rod J. Cooper? That's it. On Instagram, is that your handle? That's it, yeah. Yeah, and, and just, you know, some of the incredible kind of acrobatic stuff that you do. But I'd love to dive into your training a little bit now. Um, yeah. because I think one of the reasons that I really wanted to have you on this podcast and talk to you is because you pursue so many different disciplines from uh, yes, acrobatics to soft, soft acrobatics, hand dancing, uh, surfing, um, martial arts. There's a lot of stuff on it as well as strength training, calisthenics. There's a lot of stuff on your plate. And I'd love to start by asking you when you approach breaking down a skill, if you're going to learn a skill like it was the backflip back then, whatever it is for something you can't do right now. What does your process look like? How do you approach a movement? How do you break it down into a different part and then learn it? So if people are kind of listening back home, be like, fuck, I wouldn't even know where to start. Mm -hmm. What does your process look like and kind of look under the hood and we'll go from there? Cool. Yeah. So I think it's different for every movement. Uh, I did a post the other day actually talking about this and my teaching style and basically what I like to do when I'm teaching. And also I like to do this with myself as well, because I know that this is probably the best way that I've experienced is to only kind of get the bare minimum information first and to play with it, to actually experience it and embody it first before you start going too far into the details. I find that really helpful. And it might seem really counterintuitive for a lot of people. Can you give me an example? um, Example would be like, say if I'm teaching something um, like a cartwheel and someone does a cartwheel and I'm like, okay, cool. All right, you're going to place one hand and I'll demonstrate it always because I really feel that people learn better when they like visually can see it and they can see someone else do it. I learn the same. If I see someone else do it, 
then I think it's easier for me. But I basically demonstrate the cartwheel. It's like, you know, you face here, start with variation number one, you know, the easiest variation. And there's also progressions for all of this as well. So I don't start with the hardest variation and just go, hey, go for it. It's like start with the easiest variation and then let them play with that. So for the cartwheel, it's like, you know, we're facing this way. We turn to face behind us. We place our hand down, left, right, and then with the feet, you know, right, left, and then stand back up. And then I get them to do that. But a lot of people will be like, all right, like before they even do it, they'll be like, wait, 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 wait. but what is my hip? What does my hip do in the position? Like how much, like, do I open my hip? Do I close my hip? I'm just like, just do it. Just do the thing. And then we can add details later because it's like this paralysis by analysis. And I see that come up a lot. So it's like, just do it, feel it, embody it. And then we can add the details later. Then I'll talk about the hip. And then we can talk about whatever you want to talk about. But it's like, let's get the basics down. Let's feel it. And then we can have a conversation. Right. Awesome. So kind of understanding the bare minimum to kind of get you to the party, to get you in the gate and feel like, okay, I can start to some way imitate this movement and yep. then practice that a few times before you start to dive into the nitty gritty details of, you know, weight distribution through all this. I think that's a really, really good That's right. Approach. Yeah. But, and I think it's a great way to teach as well, but I'd love to, you know, what about your own practice for, you know, are these progressions something that you'd research and find out about earlier is there you know an element of your own exploration of this movements are you always following a set you know linear progression of things what about the movements you're personally working on yeah so i think it's really important for my practice that i have both the structured programming and then also the play and the research element as well so that's i've tried to balance that out and i've definitely been through phases where i just you know i go in one direction so for many years when i had the business i was focusing on the business and not so much on my training so there was a probably like a two-year three-year period where my training and progressions didn't really progress because i was all my energy was going to the business and growing the business and coming up with processes and all the behind the scenes stuff. But now we've got such a great team, I'm able to kind of spend more time on myself and my own training. So that's kind of nice. But yeah, having that that balance of, yeah. of, that, of that structure and then of the play as well. So I think that's really important. So yeah, I, I've been training with um, Harry over in Perth. He's a hand balancer. And I've got the structured programming uh, holistic for... Holistic movement guy? Yeah, yeah, holistic movement, yeah. And yeah. so I've got the programming for my one-arm handstands, my stall depress, and some of the strength work that I've been doing. And then I kind of program the other stuff myself. So for that, it's really good to have that structure because, well, one, I can't do the one-arm handstand, so I can't just sort of play with it and look at videos. I've tried that before. Like I've been down the play path for the one-arm handstand and it just didn't work. Like mm. it's not something that you can just play with. I think that, um, yeah, when you're first starting movement or when anyone's first starting, you get those beginner gains. So basically, if you're fairly new to it and you don't really know anything and the body doesn't know anything, if you just give some sort of input to the body, it will respond really well and you get these like beginner gains, we'll call it. So they just like improve so rapidly in the first little bit. But once you get to that intermediate to advanced level where you're starting to work on, you know, moving to one arm handstands and things like that, you need that kind of extra detail so the play and the feeling is is helpful but it's like all right now i'm at the point where i'm like all right tell me exactly what i'm doing and what i'm doing wrong because i can't figure it out on my own it's almost like i need some support in that 100 percent. i think this is really important information for i mean people like myself but i think anyone out there listening who is i think is a much bigger movement towards this kind of attitude towards training now Whereas previously we might be coming out of the era of pretty much if you trained, it was in a gym and you were doing curls and bench presses and the big three and that kind of stuff. And that was the way that a lot of people trained. But as you know, with the internet, people have been so much more exposed to different kinds of training and starting to not only want their body to kind of like, you know, look good, but also to be able to move well and to be able to do different things with their body. But you know, one of the challenges that you run into sometimes is that there can be, they can be two synergistic pursuits but they can also kind of pull you in different directions as well. Like there's only so much, you know, hashtag aesthetics that you're going to get from, I don't know, a basic handstand training for something like that, or, you know, some basic mobility training, all of which are necessary to have a body that moves and probably feels the way that you want it to as well. But then there's also those kind of competing interests. So I'd love to, I'd love to hear your thoughts on balancing training for maybe, maybe once, maybe someone wants to get, a bit bigger in size. I want to put on some lean muscle, but then are also interested in be like, I don't want to wait. I want to get into this skill training as soon as possible. Mm-hmm. How do you balance those in your own life? 
I was thinking about this today, actually, um, because recently I'm like trying to put on weight. And for a long time, maybe because it was a part of the culture and I kind of bought into that idea or that kind of story or narrative that, you know, we're not doing movement for aesthetics. But then I was like, and I, and I was saying that too. I was like, no, 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 do this because, you know, I love to move, which is true, but also the byproduct of that. And it, you know, it makes me look good as well. You know what I mean? Like I can still build muscle and have the physique that I want because I thought about it the other way. It's like if if I was doing the movement practice, if I was doing the things that I was doing and then had like an adverse effect, like say doing handstands made me overweight. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Like would would I be so interested in doing it if the things that I was Mm. doing now were having a negative effect on my physique? And I just thought about it. I don't know the answer, but I was just, it was just curious. I was like, okay, it's kind of nice that they both go hand in hand. But also I think that, yeah, you need to do, yeah, you need to do a little bit of both. So you need to have a look at if, if, you know, building muscle is your focus as well as building skills. You need to have a look at like, what is, you know, what's the input the body needs in terms of nutrition, in terms of the movement practice, the exercises that you're doing to aid in that progress to have the body you want, but then also what else do you need to do to build the skills? So it's like, you can't just really go down one path. And that's what I try to do now. It's like, I'm doing volume type exercises for my body weight skills, like handstand pushups and all those kinds of things. So I'm building the skill, but I'm also building muscle at the same time. And it definitely can happen together. Yeah. And I think the, the, that, that's so true. And I think that the first thing I want to say as well is from one end of one end, extreme end of the, of the spectrum, you have the bodybuilding thing, which is pretty much all about the way you look all about sizing and muscles. And then on the other extreme, I think there's also been a bit of a swing to, we do nothing for aesthetics because aesthetics is vain. And it's, you know, we, it's all, it's all about the intrinsic experience of the movement. And I think again, they're both fine. It just, I think there's also nothing wrong with wanting your body to wanting to be happy with the way your body looks as well. Yeah. And I think that there's plenty of ways you could fuck yourself up in the head and, and get way too obsessed about it. But I think to, to, to completely abstain from it can be also equally egoic. You know what I mean? So I think it, it is okay to want to have both that, both things out of your training. I know I certainly do. And I've been way happier since I've been like, oh no, this is a thing that I, that I want to do. Let's just call it out. You know what I mean? As yeah. opposed to being like, no, it's all about the. the so you've felt that as well, that. right? 100%. I, I, I've, as soon as I started to move away and want to look at skills, and, and had made that transition in my, in my own life, my own training, because I used to be so much more about trying to get big and I was absolutely terrible at it. I'm you know, I fall through cracks in the floorboards if I turn side on. <laughs> but because I, you know, I didn't know anything about nutrition back then and stuff like that. But as soon as I wanted to start pursuing skills and movement and joint health and all these different kinds of things, I started to be like, oh, but I felt a bit bad for, you know, caring about the way that my body looked as well. But then I've since kind of had to, come around and be like you know what it's actually it's okay there's a certain amount of societal pressure and i think it's far better to acknowledge that and to deal with that out in the open than it is as soon as you kind of be like that's not okay people just or i know i definitely did just try to navigate it in sneaky ways and it ends up making you way more unhappy than if you were just going to be like no let's do let's dedicate this amount to it i know it's not going to fix you know everything in the world if i have a bit more muscle but also it's okay to want that as well. That's, that's yeah. the way I look at it. I don't know, what, what do you think? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think having a little bit more muscle, like there's a direct correlation between having more muscle mass and strength. So it's like yes. if we build a little bit more muscle, in turn, we get stronger. So, you know, it's like win-win. <laughs> it is. And I think at the same time, there's also a, there's also a strength gateway or check, uh, checkpoint for skills and you know on some in some skills you have a very low strength checkpoint for that skill and it's far more about the you know the alignment you're able to get into or you know if it's like if it's a frog stand it's only a certain amount of actual strength that you need because you can kind of find a center of gravity and you don't need to have you know huge huge arms but if you start to look at stuff like handstand push-ups you can have you can be as skillful as you want to, but if you're lacking a particular strength checkpoint, or I'll say a mobility checkpoint as well, mm-hmm. individual joint function, shoulders, scapula, you're going to have a much harder time getting to that. So I think that a more holistic practice is a better way of guaranteeing, not guaranteeing, but a better way of ensuring that kind of straight line progression. Absolutely. Yeah. So 
And you kind of run into this issue not only between strength and, I guess, skill work, but also interdiscipline, right? So, you know, going back to the fact that you do lots of different things from, you know, is it jujitsu that you practice as well? I haven't been doing it. So I actually had knee surgery two months ago. Oh, shit. So it's still pretty painful in deep flexion. And jujitsu, you're kind of kneeling down and you're... you know, yeah. you're really getting to those positions. So I will sure. come back to it. So I'm just doing a few things. It's really interesting because people see me like flipping around and doing all these things. And I'm like, it's fine for that. But actually just like me, just like sitting in like, you know, like a samurai position, just like kneeling on the yeah. ground, that is super painful. So I've just been sure. exposing my body to those positions and making sure that it can handle, you know, the, the load and, you know, all the rotation that happens with jujitsu before I actually go back. But yeah, I love it. It's such a cool practice. Yeah, sweet. Talk to me a little bit more about what your rehab process is like right now. Again, coming from a pretty high-level practitioner, what are, you, what are the steps that you're going through? I think a lot of people receive some pretty poor guidance on what mm-hmm. rehab is past the initial point of like, okay, now I can move my body again. You know, I know from a personal example, someone I know had, you know, was recommended knee surgery, decided not to get it, and then her physio just said, three sets of 30 seconds wall sit- of wall sits forever, and you'll be fine. And, and was she good? Uh, no. <laughs> it, like that, I, that's a, in, in my mind, that's not a very holistic kind of way of looking at, you know, like you said, the rotation and stuff like that as well. So what's your rehab process like right now for, for the knee and how you kind of coming at it? What do you think needs to happen before you can get back on the mat? Yeah. So we're just leading into getting knee surgery. It wasn't like my first decision. Like that would never be my first um, decision to go get surgery with any part of my body or suggest that with anyone. I'd been doing rehab for a really long time. So the injury came about when I was wakeboarding when I was in my early 20s and it was a bucket handle tear, my meniscus. And I went through, like I was supposed to get surgery. I was told to get surgery at that time. And I decided that I didn't want to do it and I was going to rehab it. So I rehabbed it and it was fine. And over the years of like the movement practice doing acrobatics and sort of capoeira, that's the second time that it kind of blew out where I was like doing all these like low twisting movements. It didn't really agree with that. So I guess it tore a little bit then like a couple of years later and then I'd rehab it and it was fine. So I just went through this cycle of rehabilitation and then it was good and then it was not good. So I was, I was at a point where it kept catching and locking. This was quite recently, just leading into Christmas. So yeah, it was catching, locking, super painful, couldn't flex it, couldn't twist it, couldn't fully straighten it. And I was like, all right, it's time to get a scan and just see what's going on. Um, The person that reviewed the scan and a couple of specialists just said, you know, it's pretty, I think the word that they used was mangled. Like the the meniscus was torn, (laughs) flipped, and just kind of this like section like this. It's supposed to be really smooth and like it's it's just like Mm. the gliding surface, right? And he said, yeah, it just needs to be removed because that's the section that's catching and getting aggravated. So I decided that I'd do it. He actually booked me in the following week, which was perfect. And now it's been two months and yeah, going on to the, the rehab now, like what I've been doing leading into it was actually kind of important as well. So I, I didn't just realize that I need surgery and just back off. I was doing everything that I could that didn't cause excruciating pain. So I was making sure that I was loading my quads up, loading my hamstrings up, trying to straighten my leg, like trying to get knee um, extension and flexion even though I couldn't fully achieve that, I was just kind of moving through because I think it's really important to show the body that we're not broken, that, you know, yeah, we're limited in a certain way, but teaching the nervous system and the body that, hey, we're not like, you know, we don't just need to sit down and rest and wait to get surgery. We can do so many things. And also, you know, we've got our upper body as well, which is super important. So yeah, going into the surgery, um, I was kind of prepared for it. I felt like quite strong, even though that I was quite restricted and then coming out of it, few days after the surgery, I, yeah, I was struggling to walk and really slow. And then I just slowly began to, you know, just doing squats, just having a box or something like that, squatting down, coming back up, like literally just going down, just not even a half squat. And then just fully just kept building that up until I could do a full squat. And again, getting that extension and flexion back. So just finding the ranges, not loading it up at all, but just finding the ranges again, like that kneeling position that I was talking about before. So finding the ranges that I want to access in my movement practice, finding them unloaded first to tell the nervous system that it's okay to access that range and it's all good and then start to load them up. It's like you just use progressive overload and that's what I've been doing and it's feeling really good. 
That's such, what you're saying is such an important point because the, and there's two things in there. And the first one is teaching your body that it's not broken and, and, and continuing to move confidently in your body and, and test safely, finding safe ways to test what your body is currently capable of, even with this restricted movement or something, because I've been through so many joint issues myself as well. And the temptation is to completely back off and just run away because we don't want to cause any more damage. And that's completely natural. But at the same time, if there's some kind of weakness that caused it in the first place, then staying off it completely might help with inflammation, but that it's actually it's going to atrophy even more if there's no movement. So finding ways, I think what you, what you said was super, super good and can, can be applied to many, many things, obviously with the guidance of you know a, a practitioner, you know a physio or whatever it is, but at the same time, finding ways to move in ways that don't cause really sharp pain, and you'll know about it. But finding ways just to move, even if it's on the edge of discomfort, to keep teaching your body that we can re-access these new things and slowly build it back up, just like you said, progressive overload. Absolutely huge. Yeah, it's so important because we want to get back to doing the things that we love to do as fast as possible. And that should be the job of all, you know, physios and chiros and, and everyone. It's just like, you know, not to avoid the things that we're doing that are causing the pain. Like just look at the, like load management is probably the best way to describe it. It's like maybe just back off the load, back off the volume, back off the intensity and just find the bare minimum that you can do without pain and just kind of work with that until the body adapts. Because the body takes so long to adapt, like especially when we're talking about the, yeah. you know connective tissue, um, we tend to rush it. I'm fully guilty of that as well. Like I, yeah. I get injured. I'm like, oh, damn, like, I'm in so too. much yeah. pain and say it's my hip flexor my hip flex has gone out so many times like doing acrobatics and things like that and i'm like damn and i do the rehab and then it's so painful i'm like oh this is going to take me months to rehab you know how you get that feeling like my life's over <laughs> and i rehab it and i strengthen <laughs> yeah. it up and i increase the mobility and it's all good and then within a few days i'm like i'm feeling like i can do all the things that i was doing before but in reality like the tissues are not ready for it and i've made the mistake many times of coming back too hard too quick and I re-injure it. So it's it's trying to find that balance and, and no one really knows how long these things can take because there's all these other stresses on the body as well, emotional stress, stress at work, whatever. And that's all impacting the body and the nervous system. So everyone rehabs slightly different. So you need to kind of really get in tune with your body and find out what works for you and, and what your body can tolerate without re-injuring yourself because you don't want to go back to where you were. You want to just keep slowly progressing. If that's, you know, possible it's quite often it's it's not this linear process either of rehabilitation that's something that i learned when i was rehabbing my shoulder i probably had this shoulder injury for like six months and no one can really diagnose what it was it was like what did they say like non-specific shoulder pain i'm like just what is that <laughs> tell me what it is <laughs> Cheers, yeah um but also yeah. I, I feel like you know like i said before about teaching movement i feel sometimes that if there's too much information given to people who have injuries, if they know the ins and outs and the and this is connected to this and it's happening here because of this, then that gets them really overwhelmed and they tend to avoid certain movements because they know all this information. It's almost like, um, I don't even know how to des describe that. Like the information is toxic for them because they know too much, but they haven't done the work and they haven't felt it in their own body to realize that actually, no, you're okay. Like you're not dying. It's all good. And you just need to do some work to rehab to get the injury back yeah. the way you want it. I think that's this is a problem with diagnosis in, in general so much is the way that it's communicated is because injuries can often be communicated in a way that is, is uh, giving someone a new form of identity. Because at the, at the same time, it's so frustrating when you don't know what's happening. I'm like, I have this shoulder pain. I don't know why. I can't get rid of it. It's really frustrating. And then someone tells you, it's okay. You have this. And you're like, oh my God. Yeah. Someone with answers that's so you get that initial kind of refreshment, but then at the same time, you kind of take that on like, oh shit, now I'm the guy with the bad shoulder. Yeah. So then, you know, someone asks you to like do something. Like, oh, actually, I, I don't do that. I'm the guy with the bad shoulder. And it becomes an identity thing. And this is a really, really big issue with like, the way I see so many people, professionals and, you know, trainers and, and whatever. It's, it's just like kind of painting people with broad brushes like, yeah, well, they have um frontal plane movement dysfunction. I'm like, what the fuck does that mean? You know what I mean? Like you can train that. That's, that's why we labels. train, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. And so, yeah, but, you know, and then I think also, you know, I say, I say that with empathy as well because I've been on the receiving end of that and, and it's, it is easy 
to to get into you know i've been the guy with wrist pain and stuff like that you know and, and then i've done exactly the same thing as you diving back into things too too quickly and then blowing it up again and so it is it's such a delicate balance and yeah that's I wanted right. to, yeah you got- yeah well delicate balance is probably the way because i'm not saying that the information is not valid and it's not needed but i just think that yeah like you said it, it can become the narrative it can become the story you know I've seen it so many times. Like I taught this workshop at TMC and um, sometimes it's like people want to come up to me and tell me about their injury before they even tell me their name. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? There's like, oh yeah, like a yes. few years back, I like just hurt my back. And then I was like, you know, it was, it was this, this, this. And I'm just like, oh yeah, okay, no worries. Thank you. Um, yeah, it's really interesting that people kind of attach to that. It's like just another story that they're able to tell. It's, you know, it might come to like, come down to connection as well it's like i know about the body and they know that they can connect with me through that because i might understand what they're feeling so maybe that's it which is cool but it's also like it's not cool that you know they can potentially use it as an excuse not to do things as well which i've seen many many times yes 100 percent. i think the the three massive such an important point that you're making and i think the three big takeaways from that is number one find a way to bring some kind of movement in what, no matter how small it is, some kind of movement into your problem area that is going to slowly, and movements is the way that joints get nutrients. So finding some form of way to move nutrients in that'll move inflammation out and start to bring movement back into that. And that, that is that small baby step linear progression back to the places that we want to be doing. Because anytime an injury stops us, takes us away from the thing we love, like you said, it's like, fuck, my life is over. Mm-hmm. So that is, I, I think the, the best way can feel a little bit sketchy, but that's how we build confidence back up. Second thing, and I've, I've heard you talk about this in, in terms of never wasting an injury, but you know, like you said, you got knee pain, you have an upper body. Use this as an opportunity to build slowly back up with that injury, but then also progress the other things that aren't restricted. Triple down on your prehab for other things and and enjoy a different style of training. We're not limited to, well, I only squat and now my knee's gone, so I can't squat anymore, shit. You know, it's like, unless, unless that is your sport, in which case it's very unfortunate. But we, as, as the beautiful thing about movement is there's so many options and that can be used as a way to deepen your practice. Definitely. And the third one is just hopefully not to take injuries as a label you know, yeah. and, and, and learn how to correct them through movement as well. You're more than your injury. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. But you, you, I wanted to jump back to something you said before about there, everyone responding to, to rehab differently because of overall stress and lifestyle stresses, emotional stress and all this different kind of thing. I think this is not talked about enough because stress, the way that the body experiences stress either through training or through emotional stress or work stress is very similar. And part of the problem with being interested in many, many different things as well, it's not a problem. It's just, it's just, I guess, a, something that goes with the territory is when I, if I'm going to train surfing and then hand balancing and then jujitsu and then movement and then strength as well, is you've got all these different buckets of stress being filled up from different places, even though they're different things. And that can start to get a lot, you know what I mean? So I'd love to hear about how you balance maybe how you manage stress in your own life or how you split up and structure your training over the course of a week to manage that overall stress load, that metabolic load and, uh, and just joints and everything like that. Yeah. So it's changed a lot over the last, I would say two years, but definitely in the last six months, it's definitely changed. I used to be very, what's the energy, like conquering energy, like a knight, just like going out there and just, slaying dragons and and just finding these adventures and just going for it every single day and just running myself into a wall every single day and i definitely felt that but i felt it was required of a requirement of me to be doing that to not only enhance my movement practice so i could share but also to build the business as well like i put all these pressures on myself stress on myself to show up and not only yeah show up for myself but show up for everyone else so that also can be quite draining as well um so i've kind of recently been really focusing on myself and i find that that is probably the best piece of advice that i can give to always start with yourself first and make sure your cup's full make sure you're energized and then it's like so easy to give to everyone else it's so easy for me to do business and to sit down on the computer now and work for a few hours developing a new program or whatever it is even if it's really like mundane tasks i can do it now with full energy because i know that i've 
giving myself like meditation, a beautiful morning practice. I'm eating like great food. I'm fueling myself well. I'm drinking plenty of water. I'm moving every single day and progressing with my skills. It just allows me to, yeah, for that to overflow into the business and to helping other people as well. So making sure that, yeah, you're putting yourself first is massive. And yeah, some things that I just listed just then, like, you know, meditation, some breath work, um, this morning practice that I've got at the moment now doing some writing, um, like creative writing, things that I didn't spend time on before because I just felt like I had to be go, go, go and feeling like, you know, all the answers would come if I was to just keep pushing and driving, but it doesn't happen like that. It's like, well, it can happen like that, but it'll come to the detriment of you. You know, you can succeed like that or can, you know, make things happen and, and give to the community, but you're not showing up hundred percent. And I'm really doing that now. And it, and it shows like, it feels so much. Yeah. It feels so different. I'm stoked to hear that, man. I'm also stoked that you brought that up and kind of gave us that insight into your, into your personal practice as well, because so much of what I, I'm trying to do with this podcast is to put high level, high performers, experts in front of people and have them pick parts to make their own personal practice mm -hmm. because i think you know for me it's definitely it's no guarantee that i'm going to bring my best best self to show up to both the most amazing things in my day and the most bullshit things in my day and so constantly finding and refining and tinkering with a practice that's going to make me bring my best self to all that show up 100 percent. and there's going to be shitty days and hopefully i'm going to just maximize my level of either productivity or just the lessons I can learn from those shitty days. And then when I'm on and when things are good to go, like, you know, it's, it doesn't happen automatically for me. And so that's a big passion of mine is to constantly find a practice. that's not, it's physical training, but it's also rest and recovery. It's also things that, you know, creative outlets and stuff like that. This is kind of big melting pot of a practice, something you can call your own that makes you feel the way that you want to whenever you're going to walk through your life. So I think that's, that's absolutely awesome. And it's so important for everyone to kind of just start doing and just experimenting with shit. Yeah. Yeah. It's changed. It's fully changed my life. Like just that little, you know, switch. And I guess I was doing it to some degree, but then I would fall into the trap of, you know, like the high achiever, the go-getter always. And I was sick actually. Like I was sick for like when I first met Jenny or when we first started seeing each other, I was sick, I think for the first 12 months. And I was like, this is not me. Like I'm not normally sick, but it, because of all the stresses that I put on myself for set, this is when we set up the new facility at Waratah. So we went from a place, it was, it's probably about three times the size of what we're at before. And basically we needed to have a hundred members to break even. And we had like 50 members at the time. I was like, holy shit. So I needed to really step up in that moment and I actually asked myself this question the other day, like, could I have done that another way? Because, you know, people would be like, just chill, like, you know, just go on like rest. You don't have to do the work now. But I was like, you know, I don't know if you've experienced this, but I was in, in the moment, I was like, there's no other way. There's no other way for me to do this other than to just grind and to just do the work myself. Like no one else can help me. No one else can do it the way that I can do it. I just need to just do it. And yeah, I was sick for like 12 months, constantly like getting colds and sick and run down and, and feeling shitty in my body. And I lost a lot of weight and I wasn't training and it's just not good for me and for anyone for me to be on the grind like that. So it was, yeah, it was a really important lesson. Yeah. I do. I'd love to know what you think. Do you think that there was another way that you could have done that? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, but, yeah really. <laughs> yeah, okay. but because I was so in it, I guess I was like so associated with that part of me that was like, no, 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 we've got to, we've got to do this. But now I would see mm. it as like, that's just one part of me that's like telling me I need to do that. But there's all sure. these other parts that need to be nurtured and loved and that I was not listening to. I basically just became that go-getter, that driven person that was going to succeed no matter what. I don't care if I was sick. I don't care if I was like um, not communicating well or ruining relationships or whatever it was. I was just kind of just go for it. But yeah, there's definitely things that I could have done differently um, in hindsight. And yeah, I thought about this the other day. I was just like, well, were those lessons really important to learn and for me to go through that so I could learn those lessons today and be able to do things differently right now? And I think yes, but also I think I could have, 
done them differently as well. But when you're associated with that part of you that's, you know, making you be the go-getter, it's so hard to kind of disassociate. Well, I found it really hard back then to know that there was another way to go about things other than, you know, going, you know, just redlining it every day. There's there's other ways. <laughs> yeah, it's it's incredibly hard to to see when you're in the middle of it. I think like anything, but especially something that's that's that, re- that requires so much effort, so much emotional energy, so much mental energy, so much so many of your resources, like a business, like you know, jacking up your overheads and being like, I have to hit this. Like that's an incredibly big step. And um, yeah, I, I think that it's okay if not everything is this perfect equilibrium. Like I don't think that balance is a perfect equilibrium all the time. I think there should be points where you're like, I'm got to fucking nail my business shit right now. And maybe some other stuff like my personal practice will not be as much of a priority, but at the same time to have some form of sustainable practice, some sort of recovery into allow yourself to do that more sustainably is yeah. Like you said, super hard to do in the moment, but I think it's a, it's a really, really worthy goal. And there's a great book I'm, I'm reading right now called rest by Alex Sujung Kim Pang. I'm probably butchering that name, but, and it's, it's all about looking at historical figures that, have been incredibly productive, but also have had productive rest periods in their day. And mm-hmm. it's, it's, a, it's a great kind of rabbit hole to go down further for anyone listening that wants to check out more about how to structure rest periods in, in times of intense productivity as well. I'll have so, to check it out for sure. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a really good, good audio book to be on the as well. So highly recommend. But I want to jump a little bit more into a similar, similar vein of this conversation and more into some practical structural arrangements of your own training. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you've done a really good job of summing up your philosophy behind balancing these different things. But structurally, in, your, in a week of training, let's just say that if you were doing everything, um, you know, from the jiu-jitsu stuff like that to the surfing to the, your own personal practice, your programming from your coach, how do you weigh that up and how do you s- spread that out through the week and prioritize to make yep. sure that things still get maintained or don't go backwards, but then hopefully are progressing in the right amount of ways without blowing yourself up. Yeah. So I've always found it hard to keep with structure. With the benefit of hindsight. So yeah. Yeah. So yeah, the structured training is great for progressing with certain movements. And like I said, once you get to a higher level, it's really required. You can't just, you can't just stuff around anymore. It's like, it's time to get serious and focused on certain elements if you want to succeed. So for me at the moment, there's like two handstand sessions where I'm also doing stall depressors and front lever and back lever work. Uh, there's two right. sessions where I'm doing handstands and that's kind of it. So there's like just at the start of the two staller sessions, I do some one arm handstands and then the two other days I do handstands as well. But since I've been in lockdown, I've been in lockdown for like the last 10 days or something like that. Um, I've been doing hands. I didn't do handstands yesterday, but I've been doing most days. So I'd structure it. I do the handstand install today. I did just the handstand day. And within those two sessions, I'm doing middle split and pancake work for the stallers. And then also front split. So hamstrings and hip flexor work on the days that I'm doing just handstands. So then they kind of just go alternating days, potentially a day in between as well. Um, something that I've been really passionate about recently since getting some range back in my knee is doing acrobatics and flow work. And like I mentioned before, I'm, I'm designing this workshop that's coming up in a month and I just wanted to share in detail, kind of like more of an intermediate workshop because we teach a little bit at TMC, but it's quite difficult to, to teach like high level um, acrobatics when there's such a, a vast kind of um, skill level in the class. Like there's people that yeah. just started like that day and then there's people that have been training with us for four years. So it's really hard to kind of layer those um, higher level skills in there. We try to do it, but um, yeah, I think this is going to be a great opportunity for me to not only refine my practice and explore a little bit more of this flow work and acrobatic type stuff, but also be able to share and teach it and and discover ways that I can, you know, teach that in a way that's really digestible for the, for the students that'll be coming. So, yeah, so that's been coming in as well. I haven't really programmed that like those sessions like I do with the handstands. I kind of just fit them in and I normally schedule my week at the start of the week. So I'll be like handstands go here in this two hour block. And then, and then on the same day, I'll do some flow work and acrobatics. There's also two leg sessions that I do. And I also, I'm not like I always skip leg day. I'll admit that. <laughs> 
but I try okay, to put them in, is, right? Yeah. If Rod Cooper skips leg day, then I you can too. <laughs> yeah, they need to strengthen up, especially with my knee as well. It's just like, yeah. but I do the acrobatic work as well. Like I'm really torn between doing legs because I want to strengthen them up, but I also don't want to be sore for four days either because then I can't do acrobatics when I've got sore legs. So I'm like, yes. I'm just doing enough now that's building the strength and making the quads and the hamstrings feel really strong, working on some like skipping and some bouncing work so I can get those um, plyometrics and the jumping patterns um, dialed in. So the, yeah, the leg days need to be a little bit more structured. I do structure them, but sometimes I get switched out for other things. That's kind of it at the moment for structured programming. And then I basically plan my week and I, if I can fit some surfing in, if I can fit Archery in is something that I've been doing once a week on a Wednesday night. Sick. So I put that in. I put, you know, surfing, other things in as well. You know, jujitsu would go in there as well, like once a week or twice a week. But yeah, it, it all depends. But those handstand sessions are probably my priority at the moment, mobility and handstands and my flow and acrobatic work. They, they definitely show up two to three times per week. Yeah, and I think I think the through line there is that it is difficult. It is really difficult to time, not only from a, just a logistics perspective, but also from a uh, from a total intensity inflammation perspective. It is really difficult to balance so many different interests. And I think a couple of things that jumped out to me from what you said then was prioritizing. So you've got your top level skills that are actively they're structured you've got a coach for you've you've got to progress and that's where the majority of your energy and please jump in if i'm kind of misrepresenting anything no, I'm saying this here. Is good. But, but there's there's the things that are the main focus and that's got to be for when you're freshest for so for example like you said for the acrobatics work you can't be sore from the leg workout so there's a lot of people that say oh well you've got to if i'm not sore then i didn't train hard enough <laughs> and that's just the soreness is just one indication of muscle damage and there's plenty more and you it's definitely possible to get stronger and bigger muscles without being completely sore mm -hmm. and i think the the higher level practitioner that you find the more focused they are on managing muscle soreness and also central nervous system fatigue and all these different kinds of things because frequency of practice is so important so not feeling a need like you need to every single session needs to be balls to the wall smashing yourself because it's just inhumanly in possible to recover from. So I like that structure that you've got of saying, these are my top level ones. This is where the bulk of my energy is going to go. And I'm going to use the rest of my training to be informed around making sure that that is, gets done to a high level. But then after that, starting to slot in, okay, now I'm going to go for a surf if timetable allows. I'm going to get in some archery or some flow work that's not going to damage my muscles more, not going to make me more sore, but it's still good skill practice for me to do. So I think that's a, it's a really nice picture that you've just drawn us and not every week's the same either so i think that's important to note that also to like going into a program so say if i've got this two-hour session drawn out knowing that yeah on a on a great day you can get through all of it if you've got two hours to get through this session it's great but i get to the end of some hand balancing sessions there's so many sets in these uh, one-arm handstand sessions it's just insane i get to the end of it sometimes and i'm not like i don't beat myself up if i'm just like all right cool I'm not going to come back and do this later in the day and make sure that I tick all the boxes. I'm fully aware that it's okay that I understand that I've done enough for the day. Yeah. So this concept of arcing it. So it's like, it's almost like the point of diminishing returns. So you get to a point and you're like, okay, cool. I'm at the point I've, you know, gotten everything out of this that I want to get out of it. I need to stop and move on to something else. Cause then that energy that you a spending doing the things that are just not going to give you the return are just going to either like you know damage your nervous system you're going to be stressed out you're going to be tired you're going to get an injury something's going to happen because you've just like pushed it too far so i'm really dialed in with that at the moment whereas before i just was not when i was in the go you know i just you know i've got this session i'm just going to get it done i've only got an hour now it's just like it's a little bit more softer thought out approach like i'm really feeling what i'm doing and like if it's not going to serve me then i'm just not going to do it and it doesn't matter what yeah. the program says that's that's so important and i think this is one of the most important i think for different people need different information some people you're like hey you need to train harder oh, but yeah. if you if, if you find yourself resonating with what rod's saying and being a being a hard charging person that likes to train has a lot of interest wants to be better such important information to know is that to let yourself off is not to be weak. It's actually to be able to get way more high quality training done over the course of your either that week or your training block or whatever. The closer that you go to absolute failure, 
the worse the trade-off is between stimulus for whatever you're trying to practice, whether that's a skill or whether that's a, you know, even a bodybuilding set or whatever it is, and the more total fatigue you're going to accrue. So when you've got to train a lot of days per week in order to fit everything in, you really want to be careful about how, what is that stimulus to fatigue ratio? How much am I going to push this set knowing that I've got to get all of this other stuff done? And it's actually, it's not, doesn't mean you're weak or that you're, you know, whatever word you want to use. I'll keep it PG for now. It doesn't mean that you're weak. It just means that you're trying to spread over, train close enough to, in order to still provide a good quality signal that your body needs to adapt, but not so far all the time, forever and ever and ever that you need to absolutely kill yourself with every single set. And that is such an important thing to understand. It doesn't make you a weak person, it just makes you more intelligent. It all has its time and place, I think. There's yeah. times when you can just go all out and I finish the program or I just, you know, you can do extra work and that's all good. If you're feeling it, then that's okay. But it's just like really being in tune with like what your gut's telling you and also what your body is telling you as well. It's like, is this needed or do I need to rest? And I think, yeah, look, like you're saying, like looking at like the polar opposites as well, some people do need, like if someone's down this end of the scale and they're like really unmotivated and they just, you know, all they do during the day is just like, you know, just kind of do some ecstatic dance and just flow around. Like maybe they need to <laughs> go hard and do some strength training, you know, like they need to, you know, do some yeah. jujitsu. I mean, those people, I just want to wrestle them and just like rev them up and like get some of that fire going. So those people need that. So it's like for those people to flow in and out of this and always come back to, to, to this place that they that they enjoy that they're comfortable with that's okay and then also for this person at this end as well who's like super strength dri driven and like training jujitsu six days a week and they're going hard listening to heavy music like that person also needs to dip into this end and come back and i think that that is something that i've really dialed in at the moment i'm able to just kind of flow between the two and that it just brings yeah a lot of peace but also the gains are coming as well it's not like i'm just you know, doing one and not doing the other. I'm doing all of it, but I'm just scheduling it in a way and feeling into it and knowing that what my body needs and giving giving it those inputs. It's kind of it. That's absolutely huge. And and like you said, the gains are coming. Like that is the shortest path to the results that you desire. The one that it, that involves both the intensity and and the when it's time to go, I can go. But then also when it's time to back off, knowing when that is, and that's a lesson I'm still trying to learn as well. <laughs> but super, super, super valuable stuff that we're going over. And I'd love to ask you a follow up question. I know we're kind of coming up on time here, but you've both had a lot of coaches, and you've also coached a lot of people. And I'd love to ask you first about what you look for in a coach someone that you're going to choose to entrust your precious programming with and your, and, your, and your time with at the end of the day. If someone's looking for a coach and they want results, choosing a poor quality option is actually just going to waste a fucking bunch of time. So mm. I'd love for you to riff on a little bit what you look for in a coach. Yeah, so the first thing would be they can do the things that you want to do. Like that's obvious, but that is the first thing that I would look at. Can they perform the skills or demonstrate, you know, the movement patterns that I'm looking? Do they have the qualities that I am seeking? That's a big one. And communication is a big one as well. I guess you don't really know that until you kind of, I guess you can look at their like Instagram and look at some of their videos to see how they're communicating. Um, but I've got to, really resonate with the person as well. I don't really teach in a strict manner. Like I'm not very, very like um, military style. And there's a lot of people that coach like that. And that's totally fine. Everyone's got their own way, but it's like, I don't teach like that. So I don't want to be taught like that either. So I don't want to be like, you know, oh, you didn't, you know, have your toes pointed this way or like, you know, like too much detail and too much strict structure is not ideal for me. Like I just I just wouldn't vibe with that. So yeah, there needs to be some sort of structure, some good information, but also let me play and, and figure it out. And then also be able to, yeah, communication's the big one. So the second one, asking questions, getting great feedback. So Harry's amazing with that. He sends videos back and he'll demonstrate the movement and say, you know, you're doing this, try a little bit of this or, you know, try to focus a little bit more on that and less of this. And, and it's super helpful to kind of, visually see him doing the things that I'm trying to do. And some of it makes sense. Some of it still doesn't because like I said before, it's like, you can have all the information, but it's like, it's not until you kind of have those aha moments and the, 
the embodied experience of what he's trying to tell you that you actually get it. So there's been many times where he's like, yeah, especially with the stall depress, he's like, yeah, just get the hips up sooner or pull the chest in. And I'm literally like trying my freaking hardest to pull my chest in. You know how like this movement here, like doing this, getting the hips up. I'm like, and I just get stuck in this like shoulder forward planche position. I can't quite do it. And I'm like, I just, I'm trying my hardest. Another one would be um, in the one-arm handstand, getting this knuckle down. So planting this hand flat. So you can't come up like this. So like, this is how I was doing my handstands forever. Like I was kind of just like gripping the ground like this, but this whole section of my hand wasn't touching the ground. And, and I developed this habit over years. So he was like saying, you know, put this um, part of your hand on the ground. And for me, it's just like, it would go like this and I'd try to get it. And then it would go back to this. And he's just like, yeah, just put it on the, and I'm like, I'm trying my hardest. <laughs> so it's like, understand like a coach that understands that, you know, where you're at, and they can kind of bridge the gap is super important. So I guess that's the probably the final thing is like knowing that not everyone's at their skill level and everyone's at all these other different levels and they might need different cues and different inputs to get them to where you want to take them. So I take that information on board as a coach as well. I try to close the gap would be the way to describe it. They're able to give you the progressions and give you the feedback to kind of progress you and move you up the levels to closer to where they're at. I think that's it. Beautiful. So the ability to communicate communicate clearly, as I just didn't, communicate <laughs> clearly, the ability to at least demonstrate the things that you want to be able to do with their body and be the embodiment of that, not just, a, not just an armchair philosopher, but actually have that embodiment to maybe not be too much of a boot camp hard ass and then yeah. also to be able to meet people where they're at. Yes. And and I think that's that's super important. I think equally as important as finding a good coach. I'm I'm super into the art of learning and how to be your own coach and stuff like that, but I think that the best way to learn anything is to get a really really good quality coach and just learn from them. Yeah. I think, you know, no matter just trying to there's there's no brownie points for going out and doing it on your own if you want to be really good. I think that good quality teaching is is a massive part of any of any learning journey. It's so but available I also think too. So available right now. Like even yeah, if you don't sure. sign up with someone, like there's YouTube videos, people are putting so much content out there for free. So not necessarily getting that feedback, but like people can put videos out there that are so descriptive and 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 so amazing. They can slow things down. I, I use that with my acrobatic skills. I like watch a movement on like, how do you do that? And then there's obviously a video or probably a thousand videos on that movement on YouTube. So it's cool to go and have a look at that and see that everyone teaches it in a different way. So not necessarily just going with one teacher as well. Like maybe you can kind of pick from from different teachers and maybe one teacher doesn't resonate. I don't really like the idea of just like committing to one person and just like, you know, they're going to give you all the information you need. I think it's important for us to not only learn for ourselves, because I think we can do that too, like just practice and play with it ourselves. That's really cool. But yeah, finding those teachers that are experts and that can share because so like everyone's got something to offer 100 and uh, i do, do just want to say for the listeners as well for all of the movements that we've been discussing and stuff like that i will leave links to all of those in the show notes as well as rod's workshop that he mentioned before about the acro and the flow and stuff like that all the links to everything that we've been talking about will be in the show notes over at whitebelt.com slash podcast anyway <laughs> um cheap plug there no awesome. but the um the the follow-on question from that was not only is finding good quality coaching and a multitude, a variety of good quality teachers really important, but also to be coachable. I think the skill of being coachable is super, super, super important. So I'd love to draw on your expertise as a coach. What do you look for in a student? What are the qualities in a student? You're like, boom, this guy or this girl is really going to get it. And yeah, look those out. What are they? Yeah, being coachable. That's a, yeah, it's a big one. Um, open i think openness comes to mind it's like they need to drop it's almost sometimes they need to drop the ideas because i've coached some people you know like a lot of people and they need sometimes need to drop the ideas that they currently have to take on new ideas because some people get attached to a certain way that they were taught by their last coach or someone told them this or they saw this on youtube and this person said this and they like, and they want to bring that to the table, but it's just, it's almost like, just leave that for now. That's cool that you know that that's awesome, but this is the way that I'm teaching you. So I just want you to just like, just embody it, just do the work. And then, yeah, if that's helpful for you to take information from someone else, great, bring it in, but 
it's almost like don't disregard what your teacher is telling you just because you heard something different from someone else. If you're there to be taught by someone and you're showing up, just do that. Just be taught by that person that you're in front of. And I do the yeah. same thing. So I, I 100% do that. Like I don't go into like a, a coaching session, um, say oh, who has taught me recently, say like John Marsh is one of my good friends and mentor and he's a, a great business coach and he talks about storytelling and he's got this amazing podcast called The Access Potential. There's another plug. Um, and he's just an amazing teacher. And when he talks, I just listen and I just take on the information. I don't try to like argue with him and say, hey, no, like, oh, but this other person said, this other business coach told me this. Like, what do you think about that? It's just like, cool. Like John's there giving me information. I'm just going to absorb all of it. And then I'll just use what I think is useful. And then that's it. I think that's absolutely huge. Just check, kind of checking the ego at the door. It kind of comes back to the whole identity thing that we were saying before. You know, and and I've definitely been guilty of this in the past as well. You want to show someone that you know things. You want to show people that you're interested, and in, and and that is great. But also to be able to kind of shut that down and be like, hey, I'm here to learn from this person, is I think yeah, really really good advice. And just being like, that's how you're going to get the most out of that session. But yeah, the kind of the way I wanted to tie this off as well as I know that you've built a really beautiful community with the, the Movement Collective, and I wanted to ask you about when you were kind of being the architect of that when you're looking for members you know because there's a certain financial drive you've got to get people in the door but also the culture of a place is really really important not only for you as a business but also as a as a trainee as someone that gets is interested in the discipline the community of the people that you have around you is massively influential on not only how much you enjoy it but also how fast you make progress and stuff like that so i was wondering if you can give me your i guess your philosophy on what you look for or how you go about building a community and managing culture there? Yeah, so I don't really know. No, I do know. I think that I just show up and so, yeah, I think I just show up and be myself. I teach the classes as myself. I don't try to be anyone that I'm not. And that's super important with the culture. Like when like I said before about the um, about not being too strict. So it's super playful. So it invites, if I show up and I'm playful and I'm teaching in that manner, it's just automatically going to bring people in that resonate with that kind of playfulness and that attitude. So we don't have people in the gym that are like super strict and militant about their training. They're like super fun and playful and they're like um, – an example, like we don't have a metronome going. Like I've banned metronomes. Like someone was using one. I'm like, we just, I'm just don't want to like hear this ticking noise while I'm like just playing around and doing my handstand work and all that stuff. So yeah, there's a few things that are a part of the culture. And I think the biggest thing is like this playful and kind of relaxed vibe. And that has brought in just people without having to engineer it. I guess that's what I was saying about, I don't really have an answer for this because I haven't really thought about this too much and haven't engineered the type of person that we're getting in. I know that as a business coach, people talk about the avatar and I've been through all of that before, like the type of person that you want to get in, like the, the psychographics, the demographics, all that stuff. I don't really think about that too much. It's just like, I just show up, I be myself and it just draws people in. Our coaches have all a similar vibe to what I have. And I'm so thankful for all these guys. Most of these guys have been through the Movement Collective program for like years and they eventually be, become a coach. So it's like my initial energy that I brought into it gets instilled in the teachers, which then gets instilled in the community. And, you know, when new people come on board, like new members or whatever, they just instantly, they just understand what the community and the culture is all about. I didn't really answer your question, I don't think. Does that answer your question? No, I think <laughs> I, I think you did. Do you right? get I it? I don't it, know. It, not everything has to. I think that's actually a really beautiful answer because not everything has to be this really premeditated, snipered approach with everything like that. I mean, it's fine if it is, but also I think the fact that you've been able to create a community that is a reflection of your own character of the people that are going to that's respond it, to something yeah. that is authentically yourself is fucking beautiful because that way you know if no matter if you're starting your own business or if you're just looking for people looking for a community to kind of foster your own interest in whether it's movement or whether it's any kind of fitness crossfit doesn't matter what if you can just show up in a space and kind of be yourself and and 
the people that respond to that and the people that don't respond to that will kind of be filtered out accordingly. I think that's that's the most beautiful way to create a community of people you actually want to spend time with. And and again, that's so important for things like adherence and yeah, just for your own enjoyment of the experience of training because enjoying the experience I think is so much more important than enjoying the results. But yeah, man, I think that's that's a really beautiful place to wrap up the podcast. This has been such a such an interesting conversation. And if I know that you've got some online offerings as well coming out. And so if people are keen to hear more about the, the movement collective ethos and the way that they can practice that, whether they're in the Newcastle area or not, where can they go to find out more about how to train in this kind of way? So I'd say, yeah, you can go to the website. We do have an online offering, which we're going to be changing really soon. Uh, we've just been chatting with a company called Tribe and hopefully we're going to jump on board with those guys and fully redevelop our online offering so we can have acrobatics and flow and handstands. And also the, the biggest thing is like this virtual TMC that we've been doing currently, but having it reflect exactly what's happening with inside a TMC class. So it's like the person that's living in America that's on the program can be doing the same class that we're doing at TMC in Newcastle, Australia. So that's the plan. So that's not quite happening just yet, but you know, we're going to, we're going to move with that pretty fast. We've got some really cool ideas around that. Um, but yeah, I'd go visit the website. It's www.themovementcollective.net net uh, or check out our Instagram pages. So my page is Rod J Cooper and the underscore movement underscore collective is the business page. So send us a message, check out what we're doing and happy to answer any questions. We do have YouTube as well. So I've just started uploading a bunch of clips to YouTube. So yeah, the movement collective on YouTube. I think that's about it. Sick. And I'll leave notes to all of that and more, everything that we've had to chat about in the show notes. But Rod, I just want to say thanks for coming on, man. It's been a pleasure to chat with you and I will catch you next time. Thank you. Cheers, everybody. Thank you kindly. Thank you very much. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did enjoy this episode, then make sure to go and check out Rod on his Instagram at Rod J Cooper and the Movement Collective up in Newcastle as well. They've got their physical gym up in Newcastle, Australia. Or you can keep up to date with all the things they're doing at the underscore movement underscore collective on Instagram as well. You can also check them out at themovementcollective.net. And as always, if you like this podcast and you want to see more, jump over to whitebelt.com. That's W-H-Y-T-B-E-L-T.com slash podcast for this and all future and all past episodes. So make sure you go sink your teeth into that. And as always, for more tips, highlights, actionable tools, all the other juicy stuff that you want to see, check out White Belt on Instagram. Much love, guys. Catch you next time.